Okay, we're holding Masechus Peah, Perik Aleph, Mishnah Vav, that's 1-6. This Mishnah, the primary point of this Mishnah is actually off-topic, it's not talking about Peah, and the primary point of this Mishnah is that the obligations to tithe produce, that is to say, give things like Truma and Miser to the Kohen Levi, respectively, um, is fixed at the time that the produce is finished being processed and ready for storage. When it comes to grain, that is when one has um, finished um, stacking the grain and smooths out those piles for storage, he's done processing, and therefore the mission will refer to it as meruach, uh, smoothing of the creek, smoothing of the pile. That's assuming you have, you know, grain that's stored. But elsewhere, it's clear that when it comes to other types of uh, fruits and vegetables, etc., if the way in which they're finished processing is different, so then whatever that particular way for finishing the processing, that would mark the time when the produce is now obliged to have the different tithes, trumas and meisters, removed from them. Now, the Mishnah starts out by talking about peah, of course, that's the point of departure. So the reason why peah comes up here is because there's two separate mitzvahs when it comes to peah. The first is a lo sase, a prohibition. And the Pasuk says, lo sechale paas sadcha liktsor. You may not uh, harvest your field all the way to the edge. You have to leave a bit off, uncom- incompleted in the harvest. Uh, that's the love. But there's also mitzvah ase, which says, la'ani v'lager ta'azobosam. For the poor person and the convert, you will uh, abandon them. So there is that's the mitzvah ase, the positive commandments requirement to leave these things for the the poor people. So the Mishnah's point here at first is that even if a person failed to fulfill his mitzvah of peah in as much as he harvested to the edge of his field, and therefore he transgressed the losasa, the negative the prohibition against harvesting to the end, he still could fulfill the positive commandment of giving part of his crop as paya to the poor person. And that could be done in truth, uh, even from the loaf of bread that's on his table. If at the last second while he's eating dinner, he realizes, I forgot to leave paya for my field, he could cut off a piece of bread from his loaf and give that to the ani as paya, and he would fulfill his obligations as well. He'd fulfill at least the, the mitzvah's ase, part of giving a portion of his crop to the, to the ani. So, the question here that the mission deals with at first is at what point may a person give something and call it peya and yet have that gift be exempt from trumas and maestros? We said previously that peya in general has an exemption from being tithed by trumas and maestros, but that's true only until um, the final stage of processing. When the produce, in the case of grain, meruach happens, the smoothing of the grain for storage, at that point, before a person gives from his grain something that he wants to classify as peah, he must first give the Kohen and Levi their fair share, that the Truman and the Maestros. So the mission now starts. It says, La'olam hunosin mishum peah. A person can always, even after harvesting and violating the love, the negative prohibition against harvesting to the edge, he still, La'olam, he still could, nosin mishum peah, give part of that grain and call it peah, meaning it's fulfilling the mitzvah's assay, and as the Mishnah says, Ufatur minha maestras, and will be exempt from the tithes, meaning truma maestra, etc., ad shiimareach, until the grain that one harvested has been 
smoothed out, meaning the processing has ended. Once he's done the final stage of processing, so now that grain must first be tithed, and only after being tithed can be given to the poor person as payah. And if, hypothetically, he would give it to the poor person as payah prior to tithing it, then the ani, the poor person, would be required to remove the trumas and maestros before um, eating it himself. Now, the Mishnah moves on from payah to give other scenarios in halacha where the final step of processing the meruach um, is significant with respect to trumas and maestros. The Mishnah says, Just like when it comes to payah, you can give it as payah until the finalizing of the processing of the produce. So too, a person could give whatever he wants to give as hefker. He could just abandon some produce, and that produce would be pater minimizers, would be exempt from trumas and maestros. As we said before, hefker, abandoned produce, is exempt from trumas and maestros, provided that he is mafkirit, he abandoned it, he renders it ownerless prior to meruach, finalizing the processing. However, once he has finished the processing, then it is obliged in Trumas and Maestras, and even if a person's mafkir abandons it at that point, uh, it's too late. That food must still be tied before anyone consumes it. The next case of the Mishnah is umachal behema. A person may feed his untied produce to his livestock, v'lachaya, or to other undomesticated animals, v'laofus, or to the birds, v'pater minamaisras, and there's no requirement to first tithe those foods that he cultivated before feeding them to his animals, ad shimareach, until he finishes the processing. Once he finished the processing, then he must first tithe before feeding that food to the animals. Now, there's a bit of a nuanced uh, point here, which is when it comes to people, a person may eat achilas arai, like a snack, an occasional bit of consumption in an informal way prior to tithing food, and uh, provided that it hasn't yet had meruach. Um, but he may not eat an achilas keva. He can't have like a formal fixed meal, a sit-down meal. Once a person is having a formal fixed meal, that's considered to be the completion of the processing, and that automatically would kick in the requirement to first tie the food. That's for human consumption. When it comes to animals, not the case. Animals may be fed even their regular daily meal, what we'd call achilas keva, fixed regular feeding for the animals, um, uh, even the food, even though the food hasn't been tithed, provided that the meruach, the completion of the processing of the food hasn't happened yet. Once meruach has happened, if you want to feed those grains to your livestock, you must first tithe them. If you're talking about achilas keva, but achilas arai still is permissible, um, even without tithing it. Now, when one harvests, let's say, wheat, so part of this harvest is likely to be used as seed for seeding next year's wheat crop. So really, Midoraisa, according to the Torah, a person could take part of his wheat crop and use it for seeding his field and not tithe that portion that he's planning on not eating, but just simply using his planting seeds, and that's okay. The rabbis, however, felt that was inappropriate. It's essentially boiled down to taking away from the Kona Levi's fair share, and therefore the rabbis required that one tithe his seed before he used it for planting his own fields again. The question is, when does that obligation kick in? So the Mishnah says, goren, a person could take seeds, meaning say wheat kernels, from the threshing floor, vizorea, and use them to seed his field anew, ufater minamaisras, and the seed he uses is exempt from tithes, ad shimareach, provided that 
the farmer hasn't finished processing that grain. Once, of course, he finished processing that grain, then the chiv of trumas mice would kick in, and then he couldn't even uh, use it for planting as new seed without first tithing it. That's Div Rabbi Kiva. That's Rabbi Kiva Shita. Meaning Rabbi Kiva holds that prior to Meruach, before you finish processing the grain, you may seed your fields with the seeds that you got from this year's harvest without tithing them. However, the halacha is not like Rabbi Kiva. The halacha is like the Chacham who hold that no, you may never seed your field without first taking the proper tithe, the Trumas and Maestras, even if you took those seeds prior to Meruach, prior to finishing processing of the harvest. Now finally, the Mishnah says, Kohen Velevi. When it comes to Kohen or Levi, Shalakhu Es Hagorim. If they came early, in the middle of the processing of the grain, and prior to Meruach, they purchased at the threshing floor the wheat or the barley, etc. Hamaisr Shalahem, they may keep the tithes for themselves. That is to say, if we're talking about a levy, if the levy comes and he purchases from the farmer, and the farmer has not yet done Meruach, he hasn't yet finished processing the grain. So the levy can take it home, and although the levy is still required to tithe it on its own merits, but when he separates the mice or the 10% that would go to a levy, that particular levy who purchased it may keep that miser for himself. So the levy sort of ensures he gets the miser as well. Now, that is permissible, says the Mishnah, um, ad shimareach, until the smoothing of the pile. Once the grain is finished being processed, so if a levy now purchases the wheat directly from the farmer, he, of course, still must separate trumas and misers, but the miser he separates, he must give to a different levy. He can't keep it for himself. The reason why is the rabbi saw there's an opportunity really for a bit of an arbitrage. I'll explain it like this. Imagine, for argument's sake, that the going price for wheat is $1 per kilo. Now, the farmer harvests 100 kilos of wheat. Now, he knows he's going to have to give 2% off the top to Cohen, and then he'll have to give 10% of what remains to a levy. So he's left with roughly, roughly 88 kilos of wheat. So he'll net... $88, one per kilo. Now, if a levy, for argument's sake, or a cone, all the more so, would approach that farmer and say, listen, farmer, I'll give you $90 for your harvest. So the levy is giving the farmer 90 and the farmer himself would have just netted 88 So he's the farmer is making a profit. And therefore, of course, he'll be happy um, to go into this deal. Now, from the levy's perspective, the levy's making a killing because he'll purchase those 100 kilos of wheat. He'll give two kilos to the Cohen. He's left with 98. And he can eat all 98 for himself. Or he could sell it to the marketplace. So if he can purchase the wheat for 90 and sell it to the marketplace for 98, so he, of course, can make $8 for free. And if he becomes a rich levy, he can corner the market and essentially squeeze out all of his fellow Levium from competing, and none of them could ever get a miser. This guy will get all the miser for himself, and he'll sell food to the, you know, the Levium. Of course, undermining the system of having the Levium being supported um, by the, the tithes. And the same could be said for the Kohen. It's even more so because the Kohen could eat not just Truma, but also a miser. He can have both. So therefore, the rabbis were afraid of this arbitrage, which would mess up the poor Kohanim who couldn't uh, defend themselves against the rich 
monopolistic Levium or Kohanim. And therefore the rabbi said, if you, Kohen or Levi, are going to purchase produce, you must tithe it and you must give that tithe to another Levi and another Kohen. Um, so the point of the mission here is that while that's true, the rabbis didn't make that uh, takana, that injunction, uh, if the Levi or the Kohen is purchasing prior to the completion of the processing. And the reason why, because it just wasn't uh, common to do so. It didn't make so much sense. Of course, it doesn't make so much economic sense uh, for a Levi or Kohen to come early and purchase the grain if it hasn't yet finished processing because there's not such an arbitrage then because the Levi or Kohen would still have to then, you know, thrash and winnow, etc. Um, the grain. And since the rabbis and witness Kohanim and Levium cutting in front of the line and trying to make this extra few bucks, they didn't make the Takana. And therefore, again, the Mishnah says, I'll read one more time, a Kohen Levi shilakhu es If a Kohen or Levi purchases produce at the threshing floor, ha-maisr shalahem, they may keep the trumas ha-maisrus. Again, they are required to separate trumas ha-maisrus, but they can keep uh, whatever the halach allows them for. So a Kohen could keep both truma and maisr, and the Levi could keep the maisr for himself. Ad shimarech. Provided that Meruach hasn't happened. Once Meruach happens, then, as we said, the Kona Levi will have to give it to a different Kona Levi after he takes the tithes. And finally, Hamaktish Ufoda. If a person is Maktish, he, he sanctifies his field, which means that he gives it as a gift to the base of Mikdash. He says, listen, I want the base of Mikdash to have a gift. I'm giving them my field and they can profit. They'll be able to, the base of Mikdash will bring in Christie's who will auction off the field and they'll be able to get a million bucks cash and they'll help finance the base of Mikdash. So the person's being mocked to shit. Now, when someone buys from Christie's the field back, that's called Pode, Pedin, he redeems the field and the, and the proceeds from that redemption from the purchase of the field goes to the base of Mikdash. Um, that's called Pidyan. Um, it then becomes the new purchasers, the Podes field, and he, the new purchaser of the Poda, he will have to uh, tithe it. He's Chayv Maestras also, unless Ajimurecha Gizbar, unless the official that works for the temple completed the processing of the grain while it was still in the possession of the base of Mikdash, because the base of Mikdash is exempt from Trumas and Maestras, and the obligation for giving Trumas and Maestras kicks in at the moment of completion of the process of Meruach, and therefore, if the Meruach happens while under the ownership of the base of Mikdash, then the produce will, for then and forevermore, be exempt from Trumas and Maestras. So that would mean if a person would be Maktish's field, and then the base of Mikdash would do the processing, and after Meruach, a person is poda back from the base of Mikdash, the field, then the produce which he purchases will forever be exempt from Trumas and Maestras. Again, I read the words here in the Mishnah. Hamaktish ufoda. If a person both gives his field to the base of Mikdash, ufoda, and he redeems it back again, you might have thought that since it was in the hands temporarily of the base of Mikdash, it's going to be exempt from Trumas and Maestras, since the temple is exempt from Trumas and Maestras. Wrong. Chayba Maestras. Even that produce is also Chayva Maestris, Ad Shimarecha Gizbar, unless the temple treasurer had done Meruach, had finished the processing while it was still under the hand of the temple, and the pigeon happened after that.